This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Easter is never celebrated with the same enthusiasm as Christmas, and that's not much of a surprise. Christmas is full of lights and candles, gifts, and if you include Jesus, he's a little baby in a manger, not bothering us or confronting our sin at all. But Easter is the pivot point of history. It's Easter with its suffering, death, and glorious resurrection that makes new life possible. Today, Pastor Pierre Rosa reminds us of his favorite phrase in the Bible, but God. The before and after picture is quite stark. All was lost, but God stepped in to save us. And that's why we should treasure Easter above all other events. Let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a before and after picture of the life of the believer. So let's talk about the picture of life without Christ briefly in verses 1 through 3 so that we can have an idea and rejoice over what God has rescued us from. The first half of the book of Ephesians is all doctrine and theology, and the second half of that book is dedicated to application. For example, in chapter 4, he starts this after giving the readers a whole bunch of doctrines and theology that we must know. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So here's the purpose of us knowing the before and after picture of our life before God and then after God or the, the but God life before Christ and after Christ so that we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And now Paul reminds the readers about their but God moment. And in the process, he presents five unfortunate remarks of people who don't know Jesus. These are five sad realities of people who are not yet in Christ. Your picture and my picture before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's go through them. Life without him features, first of all, according to verse 1, a dire condition. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, he started. By the way, he starts with, and you. Circle that expression in your Bible because that is significant. Because there's an and you and then there's a but God part. But now he starts with a dire condition of unbelievers. Those whose hearts have not yet been transformed by God 
are dead men and dead women walking like zombies. They may have the appearance of, of vitality. They look lively. But according to Scripture, we were dead in our trespasses and sins before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. The reason for that sad reality is that people who are yet to find Jesus Christ have the second death upon them, a reference to the final place of every unbeliever. According to the risen Lord himself in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 8, he says, But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So you and I, friends, had the doom of second death upon our shoulders before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the present reality of every unbeliever now. And their dire condition should break our hearts, church, so much that we must be compelled to go tell them about Jesus Christ, to go reveal to them, listen, you are dead. Even though you think you live, you just exist according to the Bible. You need to come alive. You need Jesus Christ in your heart. Now, they will resist this, and probably they will oppose you and me, but I can think of no greater act of kindness than to go tell someone, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Come, let me talk to you how you can live Life without Christ features a dire condition, according to verse 1 of this passage. But number 2, it also features a decadent situation. Verse 2, the first part of the verse. Unredeemed people follow the ever-corrupting trends of culture rather than the unchanging Word of God. That's what it means to walk according to the course of this world, according to the age, Paul says. They embrace a value system that wars against God. Elements of that system shocked us 20 years ago. But now they have been normalized. Imagine how the course of this world will continue to go 20 years from now. Things that are shocking to us now will be normalized 20 years from now. And that is because the world continually spirals towards ungodliness, away from God. That's the course of this world. That, that's the course of this age. And that is a pattern that continues because love for God and love for the world are opposites, according to the Bible. They are antithetical. John reminds us of that. Do not love the world, he says, as a matter of imperative. He says, do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2, verse 15. Which means, church, we cannot embrace both worldliness and godliness at the same time. They are paradoxical concepts. One eliminates the other. One will suck the life out of the other. And sadly, the unregenerate person leads his or her life according to the godless system of the age, the value system that wars against God, that wants nothing to do with the things of God. I can think of no more decadent situation. And friends, that was our reality before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, according to Paul. So life outside Jesus features a dire condition, a decadent situation. And number three, second part of verse two, a devilish mission, because we used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. Paul says, that is Satan. Now, contrary to popular belief, the devil doesn't live in hell now. He's not the host of this big party where people are having fun. That's not, that, that's Hollywood's image of the, of the devil. That's not what the Bible says. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is roaming the earth in the spiritual realm, influencing people to sin, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. And he continues to do so until today because he has been successful in his endeavor of deceiving people. Pride is really the motivator of the prince of the power of the air. That is his mission. 
And naturally, church, people who follow that system, people who walk according to the prince of the power of the air, will, will follow the same pattern of disobedience and wanting to be their own gods. So the spirit of the age now is, I will not let God rule over my life. I am my own God. I determine my own values. I determine my own priorities. Because that is what the prince of the power of the air has done from the beginning. And people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, unbelievers, people who are not yet in Jesus Christ, follow that pattern because they walk according to the prince of the power of the air, whether they know it or not. They may not be Satanists. They may not be card-carrying members of cults, but yet anyone who's outside of Christ is by default following the prince of the power of the air. There is no neutrality. Life without Christ features a dire condition, a decadent situation, a devilish mission, and according to verse 3, in the beginning of the verse, a disastrous persuasion. Now, the, the godless, worldly, and satanic value system of the age has succeeded in influencing people to operate by whatever feels good and whatever feels right. That is why Paul says, among them, we too formerly lived according to the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and in the desires of the mind. Church, that is, live by whatever feels good, philosophy. This is nothing new. Centuries ago, before the monarchy in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's way back in the book of Judges, chapter 17, verse 6. Now, the book of Judges might as well be describing our own culture today. Pursuing our sinful inclination, church, is exactly where that leads. That is the natural result of embracing a godless culture and Satan. So I call this the unholy trinity or the real axis of evil, Satan, the world, and our flesh. That is a characteristic of people who are not yet in Jesus Christ. That's a disastrous persuasion. That is the reality of a culture that is godless. That's a reality of people who are not in Christ. That is your reality and mine before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. But there's another one. Life outside Jesus features a dire condition, a decadent situation, a devilish mission, a disastrous persuasion, and finally here, according to the second part of verse 3, a dreadful destination. Listen to the conclusion of that entire section here that Paul gives. Because of all of this, because you were dead in a trespasses and sins, following Satan, following the course of the world, following your own flesh, you were by nature children of wrath. Which means, church, that God's eternal judgment is the natural and rightful and just destiny of every person ever conceived. You were conceived already at war with God because of your sinful nature. If he had not intervened, church, no one would ever make it to heaven. No one is in heaven because of their great discovery, because of their great journey that they have started But everyone who will be in heaven one day is there only by the grace of God, only because of the God moment in their lives. And that is true for you and me as well. That's not what I'm saying. It's what the Bible says because Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So left to our own inclinations, church, no one would ever even have the willingness to seek God. Because the Bible says here, again, Paul in Romans 3, verse 11, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks God. Because we followed our own flesh, we followed the course of the world, we followed Satan. We would never even want to look for God if it were not for his intervention 
In fact, people only know God because he initiated the contact. Did you know that? You only know God, my friend, because he initiated the contact with you through the revealed word of God. In fact, that's the only reason we even know about this before and after picture. We would not even know about that if it weren't for God's gracious initiative to reveal himself to us through his written word. So, again, everyone who has ever been born is already conceived with the weight of divine wrath upon their shoulders. We desperately need a Savior. It's, it's an urgent matter, church. It's not something, well, let me think about it tomorrow. Let me postpone this. It's a desperate situation. It's an urgent matter. You need to understand the but God moment that God has made available to you. So verses 1 through 3 here give us a tragic image, a tragic picture of life without Christ, the present reality of every unbeliever today. The past reality of every born-again believer. But let me talk to you about the after picture of the believer. We talked about a picture of life without Jesus. Let's talk about picture of life with Jesus. Verses 4 through 7. And now he talks about but God. Now Peter summarizes this life, the but God life, in these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So church, right from the beginning, we know that the but God life is only possible because God withholds the judgment that you and I deserve. Because in verse 4 he says, but God being rich in mercy. See, we confuse mercy and grace from time to time. Mercy means that God is withholding from us what we rightfully deserve. Grace is given to us what we do not deserve, namely heaven. So check out the two glorious features of the life with Jesus, the after of the before and after picture of God existence. According to verses 4 through 6, you and I, if we're believers in Christ, have a distinguished position. It's a distinguished position now. God abounds in mercy. He has showered you fellow Christian, with the favor you do not deserve. As a result, you have passed from death to life, not because there's anything good in you, but exclusively because God is love. Again, verse 4, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And this is not a romanticized love. This is not a, a Hallmark Channel type of love. This is divine love. This is a decision he made from eternity past to save undeserving sinners. And he is now carrying it out and that is reflected in our lives through the but God moment. John reminds us, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called, check this out church, children of God. And such we are. See, we were called children of wrath. But now because of his great love, we are called children of God. Fellow believer, God received you in his family because of his great mercy and his great love. I can think of no greater honor, no higher privilege, no more distinguished position than to belong to the household of faith, according to Galatians 6.10. It does not matter what the world says about you. It does not matter if people abandon you. It does not matter if your earthly family walks away from you. If you belong to the family of God, and if you are a believer in Christ, you belong to the household of faith, you have a but God moment in your heart, you are made alive in Christ, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, who lived according to the lusts of the flesh and of the mind, following Satan, following the course of this world, but you are no longer children of wrath, we are children collectively, children of God. 
Which means that God transformed us from horrified to dignified. From condemned to co-heirs. From hell-bound to heaven-born. From eternal judgment to everlasting joy. From dead sinfulness to living hope. Out with the old, in with the new. No more condemnation. No more separation. Listen to the three aspects of his blessed, this blessed existence according to verses 4 through 6. God made you alive, but not just alive. Alive with Christ. Which means, church, that Jesus lives in the heart of every believer. At the moment you received Christ in your heart, the moment you acknowledged that you were a sinner, that you were dead and you needed to be made alive, he now started to live in you, indwelling your heart. Now, obviously, his body is in heaven because the Bible tells us that the disciples watched him as he ascended into heaven. But spiritually, he lives in the heart of every believer. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Friend, that is your reality if you are a believer in Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you have now been risen with Him. You have been resurrected because He lives in you. And that is the hope of glory, Paul says. That is living hope. But listen to the second one. Paul here puts the verb to raise in the past tense. You have been raised with Christ. Even though our resurrection is still in the future. Well, the reason for that is because in the mind of God, according to the eyes of God, your salvation, your regeneration took place in the eternal present, past, present, and future at the same time. That speaks of the eternal security that you and I have. You have been raised with Christ, which means you will never be unraised. You will never go back to a situation of being dead in your trespasses and sins if you are truly born again. Now, there are many people who are not truly born again. That Being a Christian doesn't mean having the title of Christian doesn't mean you are automatically made alive in Christ. There has to be a new birth. There has to be a moment in your life where you realize you were a sinner and you now received the work of Christ done on your behalf. And when that happens, you were raised with him. You were made alive with Christ. And your resurrection is guaranteed, which means your body will go to the grave one day. In fact, we're dying now. You don't believe me. Look at your pictures from 20 years ago. Your body is decaying, I assure you. The outer man is decaying, the Bible says, but the inner man is being renewed day by day because we have that living hope. And that living hope carries us day by day because we know where this body is going and we also know where our eternal destiny is because the Bible says so, not because I feel like it, but because the Bible says I have been raised with Christ, then I have living hope. See, what I say about myself doesn't even matter. It matters what the Bible says concerning my distinguished position and yours too if you're a believer in Christ. And also because you were seated with him, according to what Paul says here in verse 5. That verb speaks of honor and the ability to reign with Christ one day, to co-rule with him in the future. He reserved a place for us where our true citizenship is. It's in heaven. And Peter explains that our inheritance there is imperishable and is undefiled and will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for us, according to 1 Peter 1, verse 4. Life with Jesus features, therefore, a distinguished position. And finally, a divine purpose. Your life has a divine purpose, according to verse 7 right here. If you're a believer in Christ, God saved you, not because... He wants you to just come to church, sit, soak, and sour, and do nothing. There is a purpose for your life. 
And Paul clarifies this divine purpose in our newness of life. We were the walking dead, according to verse 1. We were dead, and yet we walked according to the course of this world. But now, because of a but God moment in our lives, the purpose for our existence is to be walking testimonies of God's power to save and to transform. That is the divine purpose that God has for your life. You exist, my friend, not to make money. You exist not primarily to raise your family. You exist not primarily to be a contributing member of society, but you exist according to verse 7 here, if you're a believer in Christ, so that he might show his surpassing riches of his grace toward us to other people. You exist to be a living and walking testimony of God's power to save. You exist, my friend, to glorify him, not to glorify yourself. That used to be your purpose in life before the but God moment in your life. Before Ephesians 2 verse 4 here, you existed for your own pleasures, for your own pursuits, for your own dreams. But now, my friend, because you are in Christ, you exist to shine the light of Christ and glorify him so other people can look at your life and see, I want that Savior because God has transformed him or her. That's what I want for my life. We are to serve as displays to the world that anyone can experience a but God moment. And that is the beauty of it, church. No one is excluded from it. Everybody is a candidate for salvation. There is not one person in the world ever born who God will turn away if they turn to him in repentance and faith. And that is true for you today. If you turn to him in faith, God has a but God moment reserved for you and for your life. Here's how Paul concludes this whole chapter in verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we, check this out, church, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. See? We used to walk according to the course of this world, but now God wants us to walk in good works that he has prepared for us beforehand because the Bible says we are his masterpiece. So my friend, no matter what people tell you, no matter your level of self-esteem, maybe you tell yourself that you're no good. The point is, it doesn't matter because the Bible says you are his workmanship. So my fellow believer... We are God's masterpiece. He made us alive by his mercy and he saved us by his grace. We used to walk according to the course of this world, but now he has prepared us to walk in good works so that people may see Jesus in us. He already lives in us, according to what Paul says. And because Christ is in us, that's the hope of glory. So church, let us, let us determine today to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, according to Ephesians 4 verse 1. And if there's any unbeliever here in this room today, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you, don't postpone your but God moment any longer because you do not know what may happen tomorrow. I don't mean to alarm you. The Bible alarms you. And what the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Come to him in faith today. It's not rocket science. The Bible says it's very simple. You believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is who he is, that he rose from the dead to give you eternal life. You repent of your sin, which means you transfer your trust from self to the Savior, and you tell him. And you say, Lord, I'm ready for this but God moment in my life. 
He will not turn you away. We can help you with that. Just let us know. Father, thank you for your clear word here, Lord. And what a, what a powerful text, Lord. Thank you that we can be reminded of the before and after picture of our life, those of us who are in Christ, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we can look back to our but God moment. For some of us, maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, perhaps a few months ago. And we can rejoice that we are no longer children of wrath, but we are now children of God. Lord, and I can't imagine someone listening to this message and not wanting to come to faith in Christ, Lord. So, Father, please soften hearts this morning and save some people today, we pray, Lord, by the preaching of your word. I don't have any capability of doing any saving, Lord. You do. And we, we have that hope, Lord, because of the resurrection of Christ that we're celebrating today. It, more than just a historical event, Lord, the resurrection of Christ is the very turning point of our lives, Lord. Because he rose from the grave, he can save us. Because if he had not risen from the dead, he would have been just like any other religious leader in the world. But because he rose from the dead, he proved to the world that he is God incarnate, The Son of God is God the Son. He is able to save. He is willing to save. The Bible tells us, Lord, and it is our great honor and privilege to announce to the entire world that He is still in the business of transforming people and giving people a but God moment. And we pray that you will accomplish just that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.